Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I don't know how you picture Jesus. Hopefully it's not like portraits from the Renaissance period of like Scandinavian Jesus, you know, with blonde hair and blue eyes or whatever. Like, it's not probably wasn't him at all. I hope that when you picture Jesus, so to speak, that it would be one who's like what we see represented here with forgiveness, provision, comfort, and kindness. That's who he is. This is a tremendous representation, not just of who Joseph is, but who the God he represents is. There have been many beautiful portrayals of Jesus throughout history. While their creators may have had good intentions, many of these works were misleading. Whether it was in the skin tone or the demeanor they depicted, they were attempting something impossible. As Pastor James will explain in today's message, to truly picture Jesus, you have to view him with your soul. Consider who he was, not what he looked like. He was God in the flesh, and he reflected all of God's characteristics perfectly. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis, chapter 50, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. God looks at you, he sees you covered by his son's blood, meaning he sees you as righteous. The moment you accept him, the moment you receive that free gift, from that day until the day you're standing before him, you're seen as one of his own. And it's not really predicated on your behavior. Now, should you knock off certain things? Yes, of course. <laughs> Paul talks a lot about that. Read the book of Romans. Read, read, read most of the New Testament. Listen, should there be changes in your life? Absolutely, absolutely. However, it's not a performance thing. It's not a performance thing. It's not. The thief on the cross, that dude was a bad dude. And he got saved dying on a cross. He didn't have time to clean up his life. He didn't have time to kick certain habits. He was transitioning from this life to the next. And in the moment... He would be in the presence of his heavenly father, his heavenly father. He didn't have time to do good works. He didn't have time to do good works. All he had time was to say, yes, I believe. That's all it took. That's it. So Joseph, here kind of like dumbfounded by his brothers, um, verse 18, his brothers, they also came and they fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Um, displaying this act of humility. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He's like, what? Don't be afraid. What? Why are you afraid of me? Why are you afraid of me? Again, I think just another true thing that we ought to, that we ought to make uh, you know, a reality within our own lives concerning God too. Why, should there be a reverence towards God? Yes. A fear of concerning him, a healthy fear concerning him? Yes. Should you be afraid of him? No. 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 You, you shouldn't be afraid in that sense of the one who loved you more than anything, to send his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. 
Should you have a healthy respect of him? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Because he's God. Because he's God. But here's Joseph, the man who has forgiven his brothers, who has been like, listen, I don't hold anything against you. He's like, don't be afraid of me. Why are you afraid of me? Why are you afraid of me? Am I in the place of God? He's like, listen, if there's any um, retribution that's going to happen, it's not going to come from me, right? If God wants to do it, then fine. God can do whatever he wants to do. But Joseph is clearly communicating to, the, to his brothers. He's like, listen, you don't have any reason to be afraid of me at all. Why? Because he's forgiven them. Because he's forgiven them. He's not looking for a righteous retribution. He's not. Could he have done it? Absolutely. He had every, every opportunity to do that. He had every right to do that. He had every right to pay his brothers back. But like we talked about last week, his was that hand on the bow that was drawn and God's hand was on, he, he could have shot the arrow at his brothers, but he never did. He never did. He could have paid them back, but he never did. And nor would he ever. He says, it's forgiven. It's done. You don't need to be afraid of me. You don't need to be afraid of me. David Guzik, a, a pastor out in Santa Barbara um, and commentator, he says, uh, the brothers, they didn't feel like they had the moral right to ask Joseph for mercy since they had sinned so greatly against him. And oftentimes, that's kind of how we feel with the Lord. It's like, man, I've blown it. It's too big. What I've done is too big. And I can't go to, what, you can't go to God and ask for forgiveness? Listen, his mercy and his grace are far greater than anything you've done against him. You can always go to God and ask for forgiveness. You can always go to God and ask for forgiveness. Never let that lie creep into your heart and keep you from him. Never let that happen. This little interaction between his brothers and Joseph would also kind of indicate on their part just some evidence of, of bitterness within their own hearts. There still were, probably was some bitterness concerning their brother. Remember, Joseph was the favorite by their dad, okay? And so um, there, there probably still were some remnants of that. And all this stuff just adds and it builds and it builds and builds. And then eventually one day it just kind of all comes spewing out. This is that day. But Joseph, again, is just communicating to them, listen, don't be afraid of me. You don't have to fear. Uh, am I in the place of God? Verse 20, here's Joseph again. This is, man, this, is his, this man's whole focus his entire life. As for you, you meant evil against me. He's like, yeah, you did commit an evil act against me. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to like, oh, it's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. It was a great sin. It was. But you meant it, you know, meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. There it is again, twice it's, it's commanded there. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Just amazing. Again, one of my favorite Bible characters is Joseph, and this is why. Because a guy who was probably, I mean, again, you know, nobody had been so greatly sinned against than Joseph until Jesus came along. And the same exact thing kind of happened to him. But it was a whole nation that turned on him, basically, and killed him. But here's Joseph, who was wronged by his brothers and, and just... You name it, the worst that you can possibly imagine has happened to him in his life. And at the end of it all, he says, hey, listen, um, I forgive you. I forgive you. Uh, 
man, you guys, yeah, you guys wronged me, but you know what? Throughout the whole thing, what I saw was that God's hand was all over it, and he used it for good. So, you know, was it evil? Yes. Did God use your evil act for good? Yes, he did. So we're okay. We're good. And not only does he just like, he doesn't just end there, but it also goes on to say like, he, he's going to, he, he continues to remind them. He's like, listen, I'm going to keep taking care of you. Just because dad died doesn't mean that I'm going to stop loving you and stop caring about you. I'm going to still care for you. I'm going to still care for your little ones. I'm still going to provide for you. I got you. I got you. I forgive you. I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you. And not only will he do all that stuff, but verse 21 ends with, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Like, I forgive you. I'm going to take care of you. But I'm also going to comfort you. And I'm going to speak kindly to you. This just like screams of Jesus in our lives. I don't know how you picture Jesus. Hopefully, it's not like portraits from the Renaissance period of like Scandinavian Jesus, you know, with blonde hair and blue eyes or whatever. Like, that's not probably wasn't him at all. I hope that when you picture Jesus, so to speak, that it would be one who's like what we see represented here with forgiveness, provision, comfort, and kindness. That's who he is. This is a tremendous representation, not just of who Joseph is, but who the God he represents is. And that's kind of the last dealings that we have with Joseph and his brothers, so to speak. He will have one more thing to say to these guys, but this happens many years kind of after this story. One last little thing, just a, an, an illustration that I was reminded of. Um, I was reading David Guzik's commentary on this, and uh, he shared this illustration of this old um, pastor who had a tremendous ability to minister to those who were grieving. Um, and how he did it was, he, has his, he always had his Bible with him, and in his Bible, he had this bookmark, um, and it was a bookmark that was made out of, like, uh, silk threads. And uh, so there was something that was sewn into this bookmark, but the way that he would minister to those who were troubled was uh, he would show them the, the backside of the bookmark, and he would ask them, like, can you make sense of this? And all they would see is threads, like, tied in knots and all that good stuff, and not really able to discern anything about what this bookmark was communicating. And everyone that he ministered to would come to the same conclusion of like, I, I can't make a mess, or I can't make anything of this mess. He's like, well, turn the bookmark over. And on the other side of the bookmark, there, sewn in these silk threads, was the message, God is love. See, what you can't see on the flip side, with all the knots and all the stuff, is that there is a tremendous message written on the backside of that bookmark. And this is just how he ministered to people who were suffering in just difficult times. It's like, listen, this is what you see, the backside of this thing. But the reality is the message is over here on the same bookmark, God is love. And he conveyed that, that illustration just really to kind of communicate, to, uh, to make clear for us what's happening with Joseph. And his brothers are only seeing the mess. And Joseph comes around and says, no, we'll just turn the bookmark over. See, what you can't discern from all this stuff and your evil act and all that stuff is the fact that, well, the other side says God is love or God is in control or God is sovereign. It may look like a mess from your perspective. Sometimes we need to change our perspective and see what the truth that's written on the other side, okay? That's what Joseph was able to do for his brothers. 
Verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, Okay, uh, a good long life there, somewhat shorter than some of his ancestors, obviously, but 110 years. And Joseph saw uh, Ephraim's children of the third generation. So that's uh, Ephraim, who was technically his second-born son, but was promoted kind of as his firstborn son, so to speak. And he got to see to the third generation of Ephraim's kids, uh, the children of uh, Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted on Joseph's own. Or when they were born, they were kind of placed onto his knees, thus signifying like he considered his grandsons of Manasseh as like his own, kind of doing what Jacob did for him, was like, listen, I'm going to adopt your boys as my own. Joseph does the exact same thing for Manasseh. It's like, hey, give me those kids. Those guys are mine. Those guys are mine. So in his dying days, he's getting to see his grandkids and his great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. What is he doing as he's having these kids on his child or these kids on his knees? This is speculation. But concerning the character of Joseph, what do you think he's doing? Here's what I think he's doing. I think he's telling of all the great things that God has done in his life. I think he's speaking to his grandchildren and great-grandchildren how awesome God is and how faithful God is. His story is incredible. He's like, let me tell you about your uncles, <laughs> right? Or your great-uncles, dirtbags. No, he wasn't going to do anything like that. Remember, it's forgiven, it's forgotten, all that stuff. No, but he was able to communicate to them of like, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my story. Conveying to his grandchildren, probably to his own sons, to his son's sons and their sons, how faithful God is, how faithful he is. Joseph's going to go out on a bang, so to speak, communicating, loving on those grandkids, like, man, if I can, let me just tell you, let me just tell you how good God is. Let me tell you my story. Verse 24, Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So I, what we have to understand about this is like possibly J Joseph is going to be the first of his brothers to pass away. Because he's talking to his brothers. And really, the, the notion there within the text is that all his brothers are present. So he might be the first one to go out of, his, out of, his, out of all the brothers. But... This is almost necessary, too, uh, the, the chrono chronology of this, as far as their lifespans go, because Joseph is going to be the one who is used to convey a promise. And this promise is going to be repeated in Hebrews chapter 11 in the, the quote-unquote hall of faith. This act from Joseph was recorded for all to remember as like a great act of faith. And he tells his brothers, listen, my time's done. The finish line is right here. I've run my race. I've run my race. I'm about to die. But, or however, what you guys need to know is God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Essentially, what he's saying is, listen, guys, it's time for me to go. But you need to understand this. God is faithful. God is faithful. He's faithful to his people, and he is faithful to his word. So you're going to be in Egypt for a while, but God will deliver you out of this place. He will fulfill his promise. He will fulfill his promise. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. He's like, do not leave me 
in Egypt. This is not my home. He could have thrown in there, I'm only here because of you guys, but he didn't. But he didn't. No jabs, no last minute jabs, none of that stuff on his his deathbed. Nope. He just says this. Listen, when God shows up, when he shows up, and he will, take me with you. Don't Don't even leave my bones here. Take me with you. Verse 26, so Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He was never buried in Egypt. He was never buried there. His body was placed in a coffin, and that coffin was going to be on display for everyone to see for 400 and some odd years. As a continual reminder, when we leave, When God shows up and when we leave, we're taking that guy with us. His his coffin was there on display for all those years as a reminder of what? Of God's word, of God's word. Don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. Take me with you when you go. And that's the end. So the book of Genesis that began with like creation concludes with a coffin. And here's one thing we need to understand about that. Concerning the book of Genesis, there's probably no man greater than Joseph. Now, you might argue with me and say, well, Abraham is kind of a big deal. And I would say, yes, I agree with that. I'm talking about ones who look the most like Jesus. Joseph wasn't a perfect man, but I'm talking about from what we have from his life and how he lived his life and and the things that had happened to him, man, he looks a lot like Jesus. But the end is still the same for that man as it is for every single person on this planet. A coffin. A coffin. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good you are. Joseph, read the book of Genesis again if you want to. It's filled with some good characters, but it's filled with a lot of bad characters as well. Joseph was a good man. He was a really good man. He still ended up in a coffin. See, all his goodness wasn't going to allow him to escape the curse from Genesis chapter 3. All his goodness, all his efforts, and all his, it just wasn't going to. So a man who was as good as Joseph ends up in a coffin. And unless Jesus comes back and raptures his church, we're all looking at the same fate a coffin, so to speak, or your good works and all the stuff, it won't prevent that end. Now, that doesn't, his, what's the beauty of this is what we, what we understand from that is now his bones might be in that coffin, but we know where the guy's at. We know where he's at, right? Um, but in a sense, just so that we understand this, um, everyone minus one person whose name was Enoch from Genesis, we believe in chapter, chapter 5, 4 or 5, I think it's 5. Um, it's been a long time, right? You remember that? It's been a long time since we were there. Uh, he was taken up. He was taken away. So that dude didn't even die. Like, he was taken up, okay? So that's a sweet story for him, but that's like 1% of all the people in Genesis. The rest of them, coffins. Joseph, the coolest guy ever, I think, right? Next to Jesus, I'm like, this dude's awesome. Coffin. All his 
goodness and all that stuff, it didn't, it didn't rescue him from death, but it didn't really matter. The guy knew where he was going. He knew where he stood with the Lord. And that ultimately has to be where we're kind of at today as well. We don't know what lies ahead for us, but I hope we are for sure and we are certain on where we will end up when this all comes to an end, when this all comes to the end. Rapture can happen at any moment, but let's just assume it doesn't for a long time. Are you confident in where you end up? Because the body's headed towards a coffin. The body's headed to, 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 towards a grave. But what happens next? What happens next? It's that thing that we were talking about, that forgiveness thing, Jesus and dying on the cross and, and raising from the grave. It, it's that. That's the difference maker. That was the difference maker for Joseph in, in one sense, okay? Now, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, but Joseph had a relationship with God. His faith was in him. Abraham had a relationship with God. His faith was in him. Isaac, the same. Jacob was the same. I, I would hope that as we kind of come to a close and this is all said and done, this is, there's a coffin and all that good stuff, now, I'm not worried about the coffin. The coffin's going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm not worried about that. I'm not even worried about what happens next. I'm not. Because I know for me, and hopefully what's true for everybody in this room is, what happens next is standing before the greater than Joseph, and that's Jesus. And getting to hear him say, hey, well done. Good job. You ran that race, didn't you? It wasn't pretty, but you ran Actually, he probably carried us almost all the way through the thing. But we're not, so we're not worried about the coffins. We're not worried about, I, I hope, I hope that you have received that forgiveness, that you're living in that forgiveness, you're walking in that forgiveness, you're distributing that forgiveness, so to speak, and that you are super stoked about what's to come concerning you and Jesus. That's what I hope as we, get, as we just wrap up Genesis. You're just so excited about, man, you know, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm going to do what he's called me to do here and now on this planet because I only get one opportunity like this. So I'm just going to go. I'm going to go nuts for him and just do what, it, what he's called me to do. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that, that, that instant, that moment the breath ceases from my lungs, the heart stops beating, all, it just shuts down in a twinkling of an eye kind of a thing. It's like, boom, Jesus. All right, sweet. Let's go, man. Eternity. What's a new heaven and new earth look like? I'm pretty excited about that. So the story goes on. You have my permission to read your Bible. So if you want to know what happens next, read the book of Exodus because the story picks up from there. We won't pick up in Exodus. Not yet. We'll wait for that one. But um, that's Genesis. It's just, it's good. It's good. Man, the Lord is good. The Lord is so good. He, he, he takes us from this whole thing of like how it all came about through his like artistry and, and creativeness and, and just the beauty of how awesome God is to like this arc of just following as God has selected individuals and he's using this family and it's a nation now and, and you get to watch this whole story develop and it's like sweet. It's so cool to see God work. It's so awesome. The historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, 
and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call him Lord and who follow him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent his only son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love and give it.